This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Hey there, welcome back. You're on the block, ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. Great to have you here, friends. You know what we're doing on Monday? We were just uh, talking about this during the Q Sports Talk break, but uh, let us uh, bring in the radio audience to this. So uh, we are going to be doing this very radio program at the Mothership, the Mighty Wegmans and DeWitt. And not only at the Mighty Wegmans and DeWitt, we are going to be, I'm going to be at Register 6, come on through, I'll bag your groceries and do the show at the same time. Now, that would be something. No, we're going to be somewhere better than that. We're going to be at the Burger Bar. And not only are we going to be at the Burger Bar, special guests, Felicia Leggett-Jack and Daisha Fair are going to stop by, hang with us, talk some hoops. Now, we'll see what the Orange do tomorrow against Pitt. They should beat Pitt. I'd imagine they beat Pitt. I don't want to assume they're going to beat Pitt, but Pitt's pretty bad. One of the worst teams in the ACC, but, you know, let's, let's not assume anything. Then they get the weekend off, but by the time we talk to Coach Fair, or Coach Fair. She's probably going to be a coach in her future, I would imagine. Coach Jack and Daisha, we're going to kind of know what their postseason fate is going to be in terms of what their ACC tournament matchup is. We're going to know a little bit more about what their NCAA tournament fate's going to be. Right now, Charlie Cream's got them in. Last four in. We'll know a little bit more about that Monday, and we will forecast it, and we will talk about it, and we will eat burgers, and it will be a beautiful time. Live at the Burger Bar for this radio program, on Monday at the Wegmans in DeWitt, the mothership, my Wegmans, my people. Let's go. Come by. Hang out. It's going to be a good time. Have a burger. Talk some hoops with us. Um, There was another thing I wanted to mention to you, which I cannot remember at the moment, so I'll remember and come back to that. In the meantime, so we just broke down the Syracuse-Clemson matchup, right? Zooming out a little bit here and what's on the line. Like, look, we're going to watch these games. And we're going to cover these games. We're going to talk about these games like we always do. But, for example, so I wrote a column about this today when I was just talking about with the women's team, right? Like, they're still in the hunt. They're still very much knocking, knock, knock, knocking on NCAA tournaments, dude. Right? They got to take care of business, win one or two probably in the ACC tournament to feel safe, and they're in. The men's team, we know they have to win the ACC tournament if they're going to go to the NCAA tournament. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about that anymore. They could run the table the rest of the year. It doesn't matter. They have to win the ACC tournament to have consideration to get the automatic bid. So everybody just kind of assumes, right? Uh, all right, well, you know, the NIT is not my favorite, but at least it's some kind of postseason. Last year they had a losing record, and they didn't even go to the NIT. So, you know, it's not like... You know, they're going to miss the postseason altogether for the first time since the late 1960s, right, Brent? Well, that might happen. As Chris Carlson uh, pointed out today, and I want to read you a portion of this, a pair of NIT bracketologists, and imagine having such a title, said Tuesday that Syracuse needs a strong finish if it wants to avoid becoming the first group with the unfortunate designation of missing the postseason altogether since 1969-1970, as Chris points out, it's been more than 50 years since Syracuse has missed the postseason in back-to-back years. It's one thing to miss the NCAA tournament, to outright miss the postseason. Because I would imagine Syracuse would decline an invite to the CBI. 
even if they got an invite to the CBI. And by the way, don't go to the CBI. Like, just say no to that. Would they even invite Syracuse at this point? I don't know. But, yeah, that's what we're staring at here. That's the scenario that Syracuse has put itself in. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of the NIT, but the people that Chris talked to that run, I was talking about this earlier this week, and if you want to torture yourself and follow this stuff just to know where Syracuse is going to go, there are two sites that are really good at this. One is called The Barking Crow. Stu Street runs that, who's quoted in Chris's article here. Uh, John Templon also does NIT Bracketology, and you can find him on Twitter. They said Syracuse probably needs to pull off at least one upset this week with Clemson tonight, Pitt coming up on Saturday, to have any chance of pushing itself into the NIT field. So here are the numbers. Syracuse 16-11, and 11, half of those wins have come in games the NCAA classifies as quad four. Yeah, that's, that's no. Syracuse has not won a quadrant one game. These things are checking the boxes you need, even for the NIT. As Templon said, quote, Syracuse's record is only good at the most superficial level. I think that puts them in danger of missing the NIT. If they don't win one of the two games on the road this week, I think they're just about done. Can you just hit that one more time? It's just for emphasis there. Street said, quote, I don't think they necessarily need to win out. I think they can get themselves to a point where they don't need to do anything too heroic in Greensboro. If they go 3-1, and one, steal one of the two on the road, then take care of business at home, I think there's a chance. Because that's Wake Forest. Georgia Tech does nothing for you in any postseason conversation whatsoever. But if they do beat Clemson tonight, if they beat Pitt on Saturday and they beat Wake Forest to close out the year on March 4th, that would be hard for the NIT to ignore, I would imagine, because as, and this is why I'm glad Chris did this article, because I think people are just assuming, like, the NIT will want Syracuse, because Syracuse is a brand name, and they're going to want brand names in their tournament, so people watch their tournament, and people buy tickets to go to their tournament. You're not completely wrong to say that, but let me go back to what Chris wrote here. The NIT selection committee doesn't adhere tightly to the NCAA process that is widely discussed each March which we're now all too familiar with, right? The quad system and everything that we all know too well. But to go back to what Chris said, one that is college basketball fans associating quads with brackets rather than leg muscles or off-road vehicles. That's pretty good. But Street said the NIT committee has often closely mirrored computer rankings, and those rankings generally value the same things as the NCAA's net rankings do. So, Jerry even talked about this today a little bit, and I want to go back to it on the ACC's net ranking and just net rankings in general. You could play in the Big Ten and uh, the Big Twelve, and and you know be three and twelve right now or eleven, and you know have a significantly better net than some of the some of the teams that are in our position where we've played well in conference. And, uh, we've got seventeen, eighteen wins, sixteen wins, and um, you know it doesn't give you a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, our non-conference schedule really hurt us. The, the league's non-conference schedule where teams got off to a poor start. Um, you know, I think we're in that boat in terms of we, we dropped two that we shouldn't have and uh, had opportunities within conference play that we could have capitalized on and weren't able to get over the hump. Um, but, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's flawed in terms of 
you could be playing really good basketball and winning and not necessarily moving up in the net rankings because of where they have your opponent. And, um, you know, that's an issue. I think when, it, when it's all said and done, things will shake out. And hopefully the committee factors in other things than just that. Well, they're not going to. <laughs> that's what the committee factors in. Jerry's not wrong to say that. But Syracuse just does not check any boxes that they need to by what the committee looks at, by what the net rankings do, what the uh, uh, analytics, the eye test, like they don't pass any tests. Now, again, if they go three and one in these last four, that could change some conversations here. I'm not completely brushing that aside. But as Chris's article points out here, so the 2022 NIT field mirrored teams to be considered best by Ken Palm, okay? Templon said the 2022 field also mirrored the net rankings. So it depends on what kind of committee you get and what they put their faith into. A few years ago, they went with, I'm not even familiar with this, the KPI, the Kevin Pagua Index. I have never even heard of that, to be honest with you. And they went with ESPN's strength of record. So you don't know what committee is going to rely on. Right now, Syracuse is 96 in KPI. Their ESPN strength of record is 98. Their Ken Palm is 98. Their net ranking is 101. With three of its four remaining regular season opponents ranking higher, wins would give them a boost, right? There's a quad one win in there, which would be Pitt. Tonight would be a quad two win if Syracuse could get it. And then Wake Forest would, I believe, be a quad two, if I'm not mistaken, at this point. All right, so I wanted to give you the details, and I wanted to tell you what's ahead and what they're playing for and what to look for because you're, you guys want to know. But uh, can we acknowledge how sad this conversation is? That a year after a losing season, a year after a team just hit its inevitable wall, like the fact that Syracuse got away with that for 46 years and Jim Bayheim never had a losing season, like we were just on borrowed time there. That wave was eventually going to hit the beach, and it did. But the question was, how did you respond to that? Would it be another year you were towing the line? Losing non-conference games you shouldn't be. Uh, just w- waiting through ACC play. Now, again, with Syracuse, you can draw a direct line. The teams above them in the standings, with the exception of NC State, they've lost to. The teams directly below them in the standings, they've beaten all of them. What happens right now, they're on track to play North Carolina in the ACC tournament. I think they can beat North Carolina in the ACC tournament because they should have beat North Carolina when they played them here if it weren't for just wretched officiating in that game. And I am going to point to that. It wasn't the only thing, but the officiating in that game was absurd in the disparity of free throws, and we talked about that a lot in the days after that game as we should. So provided we get a more evenly officiated game and Carolina's just an absolute shell of itself this year. Why couldn't they win that game, right? But to win four in a row in Greensboro, we saw it happen last year. Virginia Tech did it, but I don't think Syracuse has quite the characteristics to win four in a row that Virginia Tech did last year. Namely, you got to play defense at some point, right? You can't win four games by going out of your mind offensively, and that's not even something Syracuse can point to right now. So it's just sad that this is the conversation we're having. Right, We're looking through NIT bracketology and trying to figure out how they come up with their system and which rankings they, and I'm just sitting here like, what are we doing? What are we doing? I would almost rather 
they missed the postseason altogether in back-to-back years as opposed to take the booby prize, take the your supply of turtle wax and a copy of the home game and go to the NIT. And you can't even sell me in that case that it's valuable postseason experience or team building or any of that. It's, it's nothing because that's not what you play for around here. That's not what you play for when you play for Syracuse basketball. That's my opinion. That's the head coach's opinion. I would uh, take a leap of faith. That's everybody's opinion, right? But that's where we're at, and that's what we're talking about here, going into a Clemson game, who, by the way, Clemson could join Syracuse in the NIT if Syracuse surges down the stretch and Clemson continues to stumble down the stretch here, having lost four of their last five games. We'll certainly break down that game more later in the show. When Mike McAllister joins us when we do a little Syracuse basketball pregame tonight at 6 o'clock. And anytime you want to jump in on the conversation at 437-7644. Blindside awaits. The Jets told Derek Carr what? <laughs> There's an old expression. I think you can apply it to a lot of walks of life, including uh, this. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Ash. Yes, it is, voice man. It is presented by, now, not only is this fun to say, it's just outright delicious to say, Salt City Smashburger on Walton Street. Oh, getting hungry just saying that out loud. Salt City Smashburger located inside Danny's Steaks, which is... Just a lot of deliciousness in one place right there. Just uh, down the road from where we are here in Armory Square, downtown Syracuse. Both uh, absolutely delicious. What do you say we uh, turn on the grill, do some hot takes for you? We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. So, the the Jets said what to Derek Carr? Here's Diana Rossini, ESPN. They ran through top to bottom of why Derek Carr can step in here and take this team not just to the playoffs, but to the Super Bowl. And they made it really personal, too. They said... We believe if you come to New York and win, you could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. They didn't just say a Hall of Famer. They they said what? Hall of Famer. They said what? You could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. We believe if you come to New York and win, you could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's nice to believe things, but can we just settle down here on Derek Carr first ballot? Hall of Famer, right? I don't even have to look at the numbers, okay? The best test of Hall of Famer is you say the name, and I will immediately agree with you. Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famer. Tom Brady, Hall of Famer. Tom Brady's probably an extreme example because he's the GOAT, right? Go through the quarterbacks that didn't win as many Super Bowls, get to as many Super Bowls, but see, you kind of have to do that. I'm sorry, if you're going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and if the Jets think that Carr can come in there and win multiple Super Bowls with the Jets, I mean, that's just laughable. Now, I think Derek Carr would be a great move for the Jets. I've said that. 
I watched that team last year, and the thought that kept occurring to me was they're a quarterback away. It's kind of a big position you got to have, but the Zach Wilson mess and all these people that are trying to talk themselves into Mike White as some sort of like franchise quarterback, it was it was laughable. It was absolutely laughable, right? Derek Carr is a legit franchise quarterback that can make that team better. They've already got a lot of great weapons there if they have another great draft and build that team around him. See, the Aaron Rodgers thing is intriguing, but that's temporary, right? And you're bringing in a lot of media nonsense that goes with it. It would be very entertaining to talk about and follow, right? But Derek Carr, (laughs) Diana, we love Diana Rossini. Right? And she's only relaying what she's reporting here. I'm not picking on Diana Rossini. When we went to Bristol, which, by the golly, that was four years ago, and I cannot believe that was four years ago. Remember we did the contest, and we, uh, boy, I am such a bad person because I'm forgetting the name of our friends that came with us to Bristol. I'll remember. It'll pop in my head here. But we went to Dave and Buster's. We did the Papa Shot contest, and... The whole thing, we got to go to Bristol, right? We did our show from ESPN. Diana Rossini was one of the people from ESPN who came. She hung out with us. She did the show with us. She was great. She was great. We talked to her on and off the air for like a half hour. It's fantastic. I love Diana Rossini. She's great. But say that again? You could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> She's only relaying what people at the Jets said. But if I was Diana Rossini, I'd be like, you know what, guys? I'm just going to kind of stop you right there. And I'm not going to report that because you're the Jets and you already make yourselves look like complete asses already. And you want me to, like, actually say that? Like somebody, see, you get this information from people that obviously are executives. They're in the room. These sources that people have, agents, right? Like, I get how that process works. I get why she would report that and put that out there. But I would have sympathy if I was in her position. Like, yeah, you know what, guys? I'm just, I'm going to leave that one out, okay? You really want me to put this out there? Like, if I had a source texting me that, I'm like, you seriously want me to say that? Like, I'm, I'm going to try and save you here. I'm going to prevent you from falling into the lake and then me having to throw you the raft here to save you. Like, just no. Just don't say that. But Derek Carr would be a great move for the Jets. That's, That's the irony here. Just stay with that. So here's the expression. Under promise, over deliver. Right? People are in line with this. If the Jets signed Derek Carr tomorrow, Jet fans would be thrilled with that. Thrilled. And they should be. Do I think Derek Carr would win a Super Bowl with the Jets? No. Do I think Derek Carr would get to a Super Bowl with the Jets? No. Do I think the Jets are more legit, competitive, playoff-worthy team with Derek Carr? Yes. Yes, I do, actually. That front office has made some great moves. They've drafted well. I think Robert Salas coming into his own as a coach. They were right there. They beat the Bills last year, right? They're right there. Derek Carr would be a great move, but first ballot? Hall of Famer? Is this why you could be a first ballot Hall of Famer? The guy is drunk. Who, who said that? Find me this man. I'm thinking of uh, the fugitive. You find this man. You find this man who said such crazy things. Uh, I just wanted to. Uh, our Buffalo Sabres did not come through last night. <laughs> 
little wager took a, a bit of a hit last night. It's uh, nice to see Ryan O'Reilly again drop a hat trick on the Sabres. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Just got traded to Toronto, and you're dropping hat tricks on us again. Nice to see you. There is something going on in hockey, though, that if the equivalent was in the other major professional sports, baseball, the National Football League, even the NBA, I think it would be getting more attention. Maybe it will get more attention if they stay on this pace. The Boston Bruins are 43-8-5. They have 91 points through 56 games. They have tied the NHL record for the fewest games to reach 90 points, right? What makes this significant is they are on pace for 63 wins. There were 43 now. They're on pace for 63 wins. That breaks the record of 62 held by the 95-96 Red Wings. The 2018-19 Lightning, two amazing teams in the history of this league. Here's the intrigue with that. Boston has played the 11th hardest schedule in the league so far, but going down the stretch here pretty much from here on out, they have the ninth easiest schedule remaining. They had one of the hardest schedules in the league to this point. They're on a record pace. Now they're getting the ninth easiest schedule. Now will they kind of call off the dogs at the end here. They've got their playoff positioning. They've got the number one seed locked up. The old rester or a rust thing comes to mind there. Maybe they don't play everybody right to the bitter end once they know what the situation is, as opposed to a team that's fighting for the postseason. But this is history. For this team to be on that kind of pace and to have the ninth easiest schedule going down the stretch here, if you're a Boston Bruins fan and – Coming into this year, like, honestly, if that team, I think you expected to make the playoffs, but I think, look, this was an older team, a lot of veterans, and just like, eh, let's, let's give them one, one more run with these guys, right? Who knew that Linus Olmark, as a, a Buffalo Sabres fan, to see Linus Olmark come in and be the most dominant goaltender in the National Hockey League? Let's just say that makes me sad because it's kind of what the Sabres need right now. I love UPL, but I still have my doubts about him rising to that kind of level. To see Olmark out of Boston and be that dominant. To see some of these older guys hanging in there. And this this was like the one last run for this team. And it could be one hell of a last run here if this team goes on this pace, dominates as much as they have been, and gets to the Stanley Cup final. 63 wins is what they're going for. That's what they're on pace for, and they've got the ninth easiest schedule down the stretch to do it. Incredible. Think about if this was a Golden State Warriors pursuit. or In football, it's pretty much if you go undefeated, right? When the Patriots were trying to make that run to go undefeated, lost to the Giants in that Super Bowl. Major League Baseball. I mean, who doesn't remember, what was it, 95? That Seattle Mariners team that won, how many games did they win? It was over 100 games. In, in 10 games, and they fell short, didn't win the World Series. Nobody remembers you unless you do that and win a championship, which I think matters. I know there's been some discussion lately about, I, I think our friend Nick Wright was saying, like, uh, on a different note, that here, I'll hit this just to separate the conversations here at this point. That's hot. Load management in the NBA is an issue. It is a perceived issue. The fans see it. The fans that invest in the league that I heard J.J. Redick talking about this day, and I'm glad that a just-off-the-court NBA player said, that, you know what, let me see if I can find the take here quickly while we're yapping about it, because 
to blame the media for this and emphasize certain things. No, fans want to see stars play more games. This is why they go to games. This is why they invest in the NBA League Pass, right? Understandable why they do it. Okay, but for Nick Wright to say, and if you didn't see it, you know what I'm talking about, but he basically kind of intimated that it's the media's fault because when we have these conversations, I was just talking about it with Derek Carr. Like, you are judged by championships. That's what they play for. When have you ever heard a an athlete at the end of their run say, you know what I played for? I played for regular season accolades. I played for scoring titles. I played for anything but a championship, right? Here it is. I found the clip. So J.J. Redick explains why load management is a problem. It's one thing for me to say. It's one thing for, like, a Stephen A. Smith to say this. But for a guy who just walked off the court is still very much tapped into the league to say it, I think holds more water. Well, first of all, I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to say that, yes, load management is a problem for the NBA. You mentioned the word product. Well, the consumers of that product are the fans, and the fans are shouting right now, we have an issue with this. We are buying tickets. We are trying to watch games. We're getting league pass. We can't watch our favorite players play. If, if your consumers in any business are screaming, hey, we have a problem with the product right now, you need to listen. I don't have a solution. I would like to explain some of this. You mentioned guys signing these huge contracts and then sort of waiting it out for the next contract. I don't necessarily disagree to an extent with that. I also think given the size of these contracts now, though, the teams are doing everything they can to protect players so, and protect their investment so that players are at their peak and healthy come playoffs. Because given the amount of investment, given expectations, especially with this new group of owners over the last decade plus, the expectation, they all think they can win every year, which is not realistic, but that's the expectation. The game has changed. I, I, I prided myself on being available. You know, I, I, would set a, I knew I was going to get hurt. I knew I might have a hamstring injury, a back injury, uh, a wrist injury, whatever it may be. And, and I would always say at the beginning of the year, I would I'd like to play every game, but if I get to 75 out of 82, I'm happy with that, right? I'm gonna, I, I, it wasn't about managing myself. It was about the expectation I'm probably See, I think that's more reasonable, right? Just pl- be available, play in every game. If things pop up, you manage it. But is there might be data here that proves me wrong here, that if you sit this many games, it's more manageable to be healthy in the playoffs. I don't know, and I don't want to pull it back in my day, but back in my day, did Larry Bird do this? Did Michael Jordan do this? I mean, maybe some players did, and I just don't remember it, but it is a problem. Perception is reality, right? Players changing teams. You can't keep track of where these guys are going. It's good for drama. It's good for talk shows. Is it good for the league? You can't talk me into that. And the NBA is recognizing this. Adam Silver, I think, has finally come around on this, and I don't know what they can do. They're going to have to put it in the collective bargaining agreement. They're going to have to put it in contracts, but... If you don't think this is an issue, I don't know what to tell you. I know it turns me off as somebody that's not a particularly big NBA fan to start with. It doesn't really motivate, oh, where's Kevin Durant this week? Like, these kind of things matter. There's a health balance there, both physical and mental health, that has to be adhered to and addressed, and I understand that. But if you don't think this is an issue for the NBA, I I, I don't know what to tell you. I know what to tell you about who's coming up. That's Mike McAllister. He's going to drop some knowledge on us coming up in about five minutes. Looking forward to that.
This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Great to have you on board here on the block, ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. Lukey has entered the studio with five questions. We don't know what those questions are, hence uh, the name of this little segment that we call here. It's time for the blind side. You may fire when ready, sir. So I'm not sure if you saw the Terry Francona story. Which one? Uh, how he was so nervous to do his uh, pre-spring training speech to his team that he couldn't eat the night before, he couldn't sleep, and when he did finally eat, he undercooked his pasta, causing him to chip a tooth. Yikes. So my question to you, That's Brent, a bad night. Have you ever gotten that nervous about something that you do routinely? There's a lot here. Okay, so... <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> he... He undercooked his pasta so much. Yes. He chipped a tooth. How long does also one... Also swallowed that tooth. Oh, that's brutal. Because I asked him about it. Why'd you chip your tooth? He said, I was so nervous. Was this, this his just... first time making pasta? Like, how long do you think you got to cook pasta? Yeah, that's, like, that's a question. Like, if it's crunchy enough that you chipped a tooth, like, he probably barely put it in the yeah. water and took it. Like, you got to cook the... it at least six, seven minutes. That. The only thing I could think of is if it was like a frozen pasta meal, but Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. To El Dente. Okay. Now, do I get nervous about things that I do all the time? Sure. I still get little little butterflies before the show every day. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Still love the game. Yeah. Still love the game. Still want to do a good show. And, you know, that uh, that 45 minutes or so before we go on the air, still get a, still a little juiced up. I still get nervous before I teach classes. I still get a little nervous. Like I, I, I get nervous to the point I can't give public right. speeches. But there's, if you don't feel a little butterflies when you do something like that, like you don't gotta, you know. I think your heart stopped beating, right? Yeah, and then the. So the, I get that with Frank Cohen. Good to see he still got the passion there. The icing on the cake was he spilled his coffee all over the speech too. Good God, morning. he was a wreck. It's like a sitcom, an absolute sport. wreck. So I heard you talking earlier about the NIT. There's a hot take somewhere in Cleveland where someone's, oh, well, you can't handle yeah, this. Yeah, you, yeah. Can't, you can't manage the team. Yeah, postseason. Come on. That pasta thing, though, that's you lose a lot Trouble. of points with me there. Trouble. Now, you talked about the NIT earlier and how, you know, everything's garbage. Like, you shouldn't want to be there. It's not, you know, the yeah, experience. Yeah, it's sad. Yes. It's sad. What's the difference between an NIT and a meaningless bowl game? The difference between the NIT and a meaningless bowl game, I would say because there's 68 spots in the NCAA tournament, that's more equivalent to a bowl game. It's like the everybody goes to a bowl game thing. If you miss the tournament, it's the equivalent of missing a bowl game to me. There is shame in the NIT because that's not the standard, right? Bowl games are different because they're seen as rewards for teams that can't. Now, the playoffs expanded, but think about how short the list is of teams that actually get to compete for a championship in the in the bowl system. So the bowl is actually like, okay, here's something of value that validates your season. The tournament, if you're in the tournament, you have a legit shot at the championship. Like True. you you're literally there. The NIT is what what is what what is it? I think I'm more so what like like with the football thing, people are like, oh, you get the extra practice. It's like, wasn't well, the same thing with the NIT? No, because you play right away. Okay. All right. With the bowl I game, that's the you got a few weeks, you get extra practices, 
I think it's I think it's really I, I get what you're saying there, but the NIT, like you're still so bummed you didn't make the tournament, you gotta go out there and play two days later that <laughs> but you, you just kinda have that what are we doing feeling. So Netflix announced they're gonna do a series on NFL quarterbacks. Ooh. Here are the three quarterbacks that they tra- they traveled with this year. Let me know if any of these names interest you. Okay. Patrick Mahomes. Heard of him? Kirk Cousins. Okay. And Marcus Mariota, the big three of NFL quarterbacks that Marcus were tracked Mar- this were, season. Now, were they kind of like taking the let's follow a backup quarterback around to get his perspective Well, he was the starter at, uh, for the Falcons for the first, I think, eight games before he broke his foot. Marcus Mariota. Interesting choice there. Two out of three ain't bad, I would say. Do you say. have any interest in watching? You know, here's the thing. It's funny. Because last night I was watch. I got sucked in again, man. Every time Requiem for the Big East is on, oh, I'm in. It's so good. I'm in. It's so damn good. It's the best 30 for 30 ever. Yes. Because I don't consider OJ Made in America a 30 for 30. I consider that like its own thing. Right? That was the most incredible thing ESPN's ever done, arguably. Okay. When you're talking about just pure 30 for 30s, it doesn't get better than Requiem for the Big East. So I'm watching that, thinking last night, like, how good it is. Now, to hear you say this, like, there's so many of these air quote documentaries now that I would imagine that the players were involved in the production, right? And I don't know. These things just feel so forced to me now. I do enjoy the look behind the scenes and getting stuff you don't normally get. But I don't know. I'm, I'm becoming more and more skeptical of these things. Like, Drive to Survive was great. I didn't watch a ton of it, but I watched a few of them. I haven't gotten into the full swing golf thing yet. I heard it's really good. Which I heard is good, right? Netflix, see, here's the thing. Netflix does a good job with these things. But the more I hear about these, the more I'm like, how do you make that as good as a 30 for 30? As good as some of these things that have been so well done. So, I, color me skeptical. Now, the Rangers, the Texas Rangers, were all asked who their childhood heroes were. Okay. And Jacob DeGrom said he didn't have one. Now, I'm going to not allow you to say anyone related to you. Who okay. was Brent Axe's childhood hero? Gary Gate. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most Brent Axe answer I could have ever right. imagined. <laughs> Look, a lot of kids in my name. So, growing up in Syracuse, New York, there's lacrosse nets everywhere, right? Like, so we're talking 1980s here. Think of who the heroes would have been. Right. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Maybe you like the the Mets were big at that time. Like those athletes in the 1980s. Little Brent Axe running around playing lacrosse. Gate Brothers. Gary Gate. So the fact that we get to talk to Gary Gate on a regular basis now like still bewilders me. That's really cool. That's I still really get cool awed in his presence. Yeah. Like I, I still... Have to check myself so it doesn't turn. Are you familiar with the the skit, the Chris Farley show? Yeah, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that's me when I'm around Gary Gate. Remember, remember he, he did Airgate. Yeah, that was awesome, right? Uh Jim Kelly was big too. Jim right. Kelly was big too. So th- those would be my two. Quickly, I want to ask you this yeah. before you go to break: Is it possible to axe delay yourself? Is it possible to axe delay myself? I guess we'll find out. We'll be back after this.